Gracious and holy God, as we turn uh, to the gift of this story, uh, as we get to receive it once more this day, uh, Lord, just open our hearts to its power. Lord, it's a story we get to tell every year. It's a story um, we have heard many times before. Um, But Lord, it really, truly is the greatest story there is. So let us not miss that this day, but instead send your spirit to be with us and open our eyes and our ears, our hearts and our minds, our whole beings to its power. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. So our scripture for today comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. Let us listen for God's word for us together this day. In those days, Caesar Augustus declared that everyone throughout the empire should be enrolled in the tax lists. The first enrollment occurred when Quirinius governed Syria. Everyone went to their own cities to be enrolled. Since Joseph belonged to David's house and family line, he went up from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to David's city called Bethlehem in Judea. He went to be enrolled together with Mary, who was promised to him in marriage and who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She gave birth to her firstborn child, a son, wrapped him snugly and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. Nearby shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angels stood before them, and the Lord's glory shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, Do not be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great assembly of the heavenly forces was with the angel praising God. They said, glory to God in heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. So today, our tour of the gospel homes takes us to the house of Luke, which is starkly different than Mark's spare and plain cottage we visited uh, last week. The artists that originally imagined the renditions of the four gospel homes that we are using in this series, Kevin Burns, portrayed Luke's house as an open and welcoming ranch house. In her devotional book that accompanies his work, Cynthia Campbell describes Luke's house in even more detail. Kids are playing in the yard, which they share with a variety of animals. There is a full porch that invites visitors to stop by for a visit. Everything about this house says welcome. At Christmas time, Luke's place is decorated within an inch of its life. There are lights everywhere and Christmas trees in several rooms. 
Among the displays on the front lawn is a live nativity, complete with a llama. I just got to say tonight, we're going better than a llama. We got a camel. Christmas carols are playing from loudspeakers mounted on the roof. It is a joyous place and open to all. She goes on to write, Luke is the gospel that gives us the Christmas we know best and love the most. With mother and child in the first wonderful moments of cherishing the miracle of birth, the setting is a place of warmth and safety despite there being no room in the inn. Angels fill the night sky with wondrous music. Shepherds abide in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night, just like young David did before he was anointed by Samuel, later to become king. And young Mary ponders everything in her heart. Christmas at Luke's house is just what we all want most. Beauty and joy and peace. However, Campbell notes, there is a good deal more going on at Luke's house than meets the eye. Before we get to the Christmas story we read today in Luke chapter 2, Luke sets the stage in chapter 1 with 80 verses that bring us the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah who become parents to John the Baptist in their old age and the story of Mary's visit from the angel Gabriel who told her what was to come. The very beginning of Luke's gospel opens with these words in chapter 1. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. There's a similar opening to chapter 2, which opens in this way. In those days, Caesar Augustus declared that everyone throughout the empire should be enrolled in the tax lists. The first enrollment occurred when Quirinius governed Syria. The beginning of chapter 3, when Luke introduces the ministry of John the Baptist, follows the same pattern. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod, son of King Herod, was ruler of Galilee. Well, at first glance, these openings seem to simply be time and date stamps since connecting events to the reigning monarchs was the way that they often dated historical events in the ancient world. Some scholars have said that Luke is doing more here than just orienting us to when these events occurred. Many believe that he is also orienting us to the theological and political realities of that time, when God chose to send his son Jesus into the world. Scholar N.T. Wright describes the opening to Luke's Christmas story in chapter 2 in this way. Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. He became sole ruler of the Roman world after a bloody civil war in which he overpowered all rival claimants. He turned the great Roman Republic into an empire with himself at the head. He proclaimed that he had brought justice and peace to the whole world and declaring his dead adoptive father to be divine, styled himself as son of God. Augustus, people said, was the savior of the world. He was its king, 
its Lord. Increasingly in the eastern part of his empire, where our story unfolds, people worshipped him too as a god. It's into that world and empire that Jesus is born. And the angels proclaim to the shepherds, do not be afraid. Look, I bring you good news to you, wonderful and joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. In the Roman Empire, the claim that Caesar Augustus was the Son of God was not good news for all people. It was good news for those Roman citizens who were afforded place, position, power, and privilege under the empire. It was decidedly not good news for those on the outside, the powerless and poor. Luke is heralding a new savior, the true son of God, whose birth is truly good news of great joy for all people. It is the news of that Savior's impending birth that inspire both Zechariah's song and Mary's that are found in the first chapter of Luke. Campbell names that the songs of these two, Mary and Zechariah, embody the good news. They are the overture to Luke's gospel. Mary's song is about what God is going to do in the world and to the world. Mary sings about the future in the past tense because to the eyes of faith, God's victory has already happened and it is radical stuff. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly, filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. The world has been turned upside down. Power no longer belongs to the rich. Food, which means life, is available to the hungry poor. Those who already have enough aren't getting more. Zechariah's song carries the same themes. God will redeem God's people, save them from their enemies, and give them freedom to worship God without fear. Zechariah sings about his son John's ministry. John is the one who will prepare the way for the Messiah, who Zechariah calls Dayspring the one who will bring light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and who will guide people into the path of peace. As the overture to Luke's gospel, Campbell notes that these two songs set the tone for the entire gospel of Luke. Jesus' ministry begins with a sermon in Nazareth where he announces his mission to preach good news to the poor release to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and liberty to the oppressed. Jesus has more to say about money, poverty, and the care of the poor in this gospel than in any other. And his ministry and all the people it brings him into relationship with prove that the angels' words rang true. The news that the angels brought truly was good news of great joy for all people. God had come to save not just those with place, position, power, and privilege. The one true God had sent his son to save the powerless and poor and to usher in God's reign, 
a kingdom that was so different than the empires of this world, a realm where all are welcome, all have a seat at the table, and there is always enough. This week, I encountered an article that talked about how destructive poverty is from a historical, sociological, and political perspective. It made the argument that when poverty is allowed to exist within a society at a large scale, when whole hosts and groups of people are stuck fighting for their basic needs for survival, it is destabilizing and eventually leads to extremism, fundamentalism, fascism, authoritarianism, and war. It was a fascinating argument that rang true to what I witnessed on a smaller, more individual scale. Poverty is one of the most destructive realities I have witnessed in my life. I saw this up close and personal when I worked in the neighborhood in inner city San Antonio for eight years before going to seminary. I've witnessed it in my ministry here, walking with people who are living in poverty, some within our community, others who get connected to it from the outside. When people do not have safe shelter, are not able to access medical care, are not sure how they are going to put gas in their tank or buy food for the week or make the payment on their car that allows them to get to and from work, you all, the fear and worry and fight for survival is all-consuming, and it literally sucks the life out of them. When whole swaths of people are facing that reality, it is destabilizing and destructive to the fabric of a community or a nation. Which is, of course, why Jesus came to preach against it and to proclaim a different realm that would be good news to the poor, which is also good news for us all. What makes Luke's house so warm and inviting is that it is a place where all are welcome, where there is food enough for everyone, where people from all walks of life get to come together to share in the beauty and joy and peace that can be found there. It was fascinating for me to learn that the first live nativity was created by St. Francis of Assisi in 1223 because he was concerned that the Feast of Christmas had become an occasion mostly for gifts and parties and wanted to find a way to remind people that it was truly about Christ. There's something comforting in knowing the issues of our day are not unique to our own time but something people 800 years ago struggled with as well. The true beauty, joy, and peace of this season is not found in all of the stuff that we have come to fill it with. When we have too much, all the stuff gets in the way, and we miss what is at the heart of this season and this life. It's why in Mary's song, the rich are sent away empty, that is good news for them too, even if it doesn't look like it on the surface or by the norms of our culture. When instead of holding on to more than we need, we give of what we have, sharing it with those who do not have enough, 
Y'all, that is where beauty and joy and peace can be found. Jesus' coming was God doing just that for us. Giving out of God's abundance to us who are in desperate need for the love and grace he offers. God gave of his son sacrificially to us. And just look what love and life has been born from that gift. When we give sacrificially to others, that same love and life is born. Writing this sermon has given me this idea for next year's live nativity. It didn't come quick enough for this year's. In addition to remind, helping remind people who this season of Christmas is all about, what if we invited them to join us in creating a table like the one in Luke's house, where all have enough? What if we set a table where people who have extra could, to give could bring food donations, and anyone who needed some extra help for their table could receive those gifts that night as well? That table just might help people remember that we belong to God, which means we also belong to one another. That table just might help people remember the passion of the heart that beat within that tiny baby boy, a child, a son, who was wrapped snugly by his mother and placed in the manger. That table just might help us proclaim all the more the angel's message in our world today. Don't be afraid. Look, I am bringing you good news to you. Wonderful, joyous news for all people. For all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ.